listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, Merry Christmas Eve, I guess we say this morning. Uh, For the last several weeks, we've been looking at the story of the early church, the first followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. But uh, over the last three weeks, then, we uh, sort of stepped aside from that series to take a look at some of the big questions around Christmas. Why did we need someone to rescue us? Why did God have to actually enter into this world? And why the virgin birth we looked at last week? And today, the last Sunday in Advent, we're asking, why celebrate? Why do we celebrate? So let me ask you, how many of you uh, regularly send out Christmas cards around this time of year? Okay, a, a decent number. How many of you have already sent out your Christmas cards? Okay, yeah, there, there have been years. We, My wife, Amelia, did a wonderful job this year. There have been years where it's been in danger of being a St. Patrick's Day card. <laughs> There's something about this season, though, that makes us want to... Send good wishes to friends and family to connect with one another. Uh, If you think about it, I mean, almost nobody sends Independence Day cards. We we don't send out Halloween cards to friends and family. But we all, most of us, many of us, send Christmas cards. Except those of us who maybe realize that sending out Christmas cards is about as much as buying gifts for people with the cost of postage anymore. If you think about cards, they really they come in all shapes and sizes and kinds. As you've seen them probably all arriving in our homes over the last few days. Some are sleek and beautiful. Some are made by hand, while others are quite expensive. We get some where every member of the family signs the card. Some that are sent in support of some charity or good cause. Most often now we get cards with a photo of the family and sort of a year-in-review kind of letter. You know, the kind of thing that says, um, you know, Jimmy hit 325 in Little League last year. Uh, Best marching band went to state. Or a mark got straight A's. And it's signed, Merry Christmas, Harold and Doris. And you realize, we don't know any Harold. And ordinarily, you'd throw the thing away, right? But you realize these people not only spent, you know, several dollars to produce the thing and mail it to us, but they took the time to write out the details of of their lives, thinking that we would be interested. So we try to figure out who Harold and Doris are, because if you toss the card away, you might be tossing away a connection. You might be tossing away a, a friendship. These people wrote to share some of their lives with you. And that's part of Christmas, too, and and part of why we celebrate. If you look at the cards that people send, it seems to me that they often reflect how people perceive Christmas. What we think about Christmas is often demonstrated in the kinds of cards that people send. Several years ago, uh, the Canadian... Communicator Marshall McLuhan said, the medium is the message. What he meant was, it it may not matter so much what you say, but how you say it. The medium is the message. There's a difference in sharing a message in print versus 
saying it on television or making an ad of it or uh, intruding on people's you know, online shopping with uh, something that flashes in front of your face. That sends a message in itself. The medium is the message. I think there's something to that. And I think there's something that's true about that with Christmas cards and with Christmas. Now, obviously we can't push that too far. I know that some people buy their Christmas cards at the half sale price the day after Christmas. And when you're looking at a bargain, you know, you may not pay a lot of attention to what the card says. So why are we celebrating? Why do we celebrate this time of year? I think we can make a case that the meaning of Christmas is, in a sense, in the cards. So what I want to do is look at the question, why celebrate through some of the messages that we share with each other, that we see in our culture around this time of year. And we'll see how the nativity story points us to the real reason for celebrating. Well, one kind of card that we get celebrates what we might call the winter festival. It, it sort of has a feel of white Christmas about it. It, it almost makes you think Jesus was born in a snowstorm. There's snow-covered cottages and, and pine trees and Santa on the roof of the house and there's icicles hanging off the eaves and, and maybe there are people skating on a, on a frozen lake. Everywhere you look, there's snow. Those kinds of cards are actually celebrating a holiday that's older than Christmas. On December 25th, in, in the calendar that the Romans used, that was the winter solstice. And the Romans would have the greatest festival of their year. It was the day when there's the least sunlight. And, and so to acknowledge this lack of the sun's warmth and, and light, the Romans held lavish feasts and wild celebrations and parties to, to essentially celebrate the sun and to say, we're thankful for you. Please come back again. And our neighbors who maybe don't think too much about God don't necessarily celebrate Christmas, but really kind of a winter festival. They don't know that this is the time when we ought to, I mean, they know that it's a time when they ought to rejoice because they hear it from the world around them. They hear it in music and on department store ads. And, and yet for many of people who live on the winter wonderland level, Christmas should be a delightful time, but it's often a depressing time. Maybe that's the reason that some of us spend too much and eat too much and drink too much and party too much. We try and distract ourselves so that we don't notice that winter is not really a wonderland. It's just winter. Celebrating winter is fine, you know, if you live in Arizona or Florida. But what if you've been through a storm like what we had here last year in Indiana? You know, power outages and freezing cold and burst pipes tend to dampen your white Christmas feeling, right? You realize that winter can be very cold. And out in the cold and the dark, you can be very lost. And that we are actually small, vulnerable people in a world that can be very threatening. But what happened at Christmas is that God stepped into this world to bring the light and the warmth of his love to us in the dark. That's what we see happening in verses 8 through 12. You have your Bibles open to Luke's Gospel in chapter 2. There's shepherds out in the field. They're watching their sheep. Why are they watching their sheep at night? Because the world that they live in is cold and dark and 
dangerous. But into that cold darkness, suddenly in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, if you're out in the dark of night, and suddenly a bright, overpowering light appears around you, of course you're going to be frightened. Especially if the source of that light is a messenger from God. But the angel doesn't bring a message of wrath or judgment. It's, it's not condemnation. Look in verse 10. The angel says, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Because today is born to you in the city of David a Savior is Christ the Lord. That's why we celebrate Christmas in the middle of winter. Because Jesus has come to banish the cold and the dark and the loneliness of our lives. That's why angels fill the sky. Because they're part of the message. Their presence is, in a sense, the message. God's glory shines around them to bring good news that will call, cause great joy. That the warmth of God's love radiates into our world through this child that's born and through what he will do. We celebrate because Jesus brings God's love to vulnerable people. We're in the cold and in the dark and when we really stop and notice the world around us, it's a scary place. But God invades, enters that world to transform it. Now, probably Jesus was not born in the middle of December, but in the spring, because that's when shepherds were typically out in the fields watching their flocks at night. But the early Christians seized on that pagan winter festival and recognized that in the depth of the cold, dark winter, that the thing to celebrate is the coming of God's love and warmth and welcome. Because what they're saying to their pagan neighbors was this. What, what you're trying to capture in your winter festival, that's what God has given to you in His Son, in Jesus. It's not the sun in the sky that brings you light and warmth. It's the Son of God who's come to transform the darkness and the cold of winter into light and warmth and safety. Because He brings new life. Well, that's fine if you're a Christian, some may say. But we know the world's not the way it should be, but you don't need to believe all that stuff about Jesus in order to find happiness, especially at this time of year. And we kind of see that in, in another kind of card that we get. It's the kind that reflects a nostalgia for a, oh, a fondly remembered past that, that we'd like to recreate. When I was growing up, the, the cards like this looked like they were straight out of a Charles Dickens story. You know, fat, jolly men standing around a warm fire with a glass of cider or something stronger in their hands. And they all look happy. And, and through the frost-covered window, there's a group of Victorian people standing around a lamppost, typically with a greeting that says, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Nowadays, this kind of card would show a, a grainy 70s Polaroid from an American suburban family with kids in pajamas opening gifts in front of the Christmas tree. Most of us can easily remember a, a favorite childhood memory. And what those cards are trying to capture 
is a nostalgia for a fondly remembered past. And that's part of Christmas too. I mean, that's why we sing the same songs year after year after year. We don't really create new Christmas songs, right? Part of the season is singing the things that make us feel good because they're comfortable and they're familiar and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but one of the dangers of nostalgia, one of the problems with it is that our perceptions are wrong. People have been longing for the good old days of a hundred years ago ever since Adam's 101st birthday. If we could listen in on the conversation of those fat, jolly gentlemen around the fire experiencing a good, old-fashioned Christmas, they'd probably be talking about the good old days of a hundred years before them. You remember the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes? You want a Calvin and Hobbes fan? Yes, Calvin is this very creative third grader whose imagination brings a kind of magic to his world. But through Calvin, we also see the, the sad, lonely, confusing realities of being a kid. In one cartoon, the, the school bully, Mo shoves Calvin down to the ground for no reason. And as he's lying there bruised on the ground, Calvin says, people who get nostalgic about childhood were obviously never children. <laughs> Whether we're looking back in nostalgia, or forward to a, to a brighter future that, that we think we can create for ourselves. There are two sides of the same coin. We think that we can create a world that's less complex, less confusing, less fearful than the one that we live in. It's out there somewhere if we can just capture it. But I'm convinced that that, that longing that longing for a life that seems fuller or kinder or happier is never answered by looking back or by looking forward because that longing is really a longing for God. We long for a love that never ends, a home that always welcomes us, people who always understand us. That's God. The Bible tells us that's what we had in the very beginning when God created humanity. In relationship with God, we are made for love, for community, for purpose, for peace in knowing God. Do you notice what the chorus of heavenly beings sing in verse 14? Suddenly, there's not only just one angel, but a whole multitude of the heavenly host. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And some of your versions may read, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Some, some early manuscripts read it that way as well. The difference is not significant. The, the point is it's an announcement of peace and goodwill from God that's available to us. And it's available to us not by getting our act together and cleaning ourselves up, but as a gift of God's goodness. That's what makes it good news. The, the longings of our hearts are not going to be satisfied by getting back to some nostalgic past. Peace comes from the sovereign God who knows us, who brings us to himself and answers those deepest longings of our hearts. That's what Christmas brings us. We celebrate because Jesus brings peace to restless people. 
Jesus brings peace to restless people. See, we're restless because we're separated from the life that we were made to know by our own brokenness. And, and how are people whose souls are broken going to fix themselves? God says, if you're right to long for peace, the good news, it's not up to you to find it or produce it. The better news is that my son has come into this world to save you from that brokenness and bring you home to me. <coughs> Jesus has come to announce, to make available the favor, the goodwill of God. The life you were made for, not by fixing yourself but simply by receiving the peace that God offers through faith in His Son, Jesus, and what He's come to do for us. That's the message of that song, God Rescue Mary, gentlemen, if we get the comma in the right place. God Rescue Mary, gentlemen. God Keep You Mary, joyful and peace. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Tidings, news of comfort and joy. We celebrate because Jesus brings peace to restless people. We don't often experience peace in this world. There's another kind of card that we get that that focuses on that longing for peace. It's, it's the one that pictures the manger scene. I mean, you know, there's kind of this soft, lovely haze around it. In the manger scene, there's a beautiful little baby sleeping peacefully on a bed of hay, and, and his mother Mary is either looking down in awe at this baby, or her hands are lifted up, and her eyes are looking up into heaven. Her halo is on straight, her dress is neatly ironed. Joseph is standing behind her, smiling, and the shepherds are all there, and they look like they just had the opportunity you know, to get cleaned up and iron their clothes, and they smell nice, and, and they're happy sheep and cows and camels, and everyone is posed for a beautiful family portrait. Picture is beautiful, but it's an absolute distortion of the reality. Look back in, in verses one to seven. I mean, the background is that Joseph, because he's from the house of David, has to go back to his hometown in Bethlehem for the census. And by the time they get there, everyone's on the move, and there's no room for them anywhere. The time comes for her to give birth in verse 6. And she gave birth to her son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I mean, there's nothing beautiful about coming to a crowded village with your pregnant wife, knowing that, that the birth pangs have already begun and there's no place for her to have the baby. There's nothing lovely about discovering that your wife's going to end up giving birth in, you know, maybe a cave or a lean-to out back where the cattle sleep. There's nothing heartwarming about bringing your child into the world far away from family and help and having to place him in a feed trough because it's only marginally better than the filth of a barn floor. There's not a lot of delight in knowing that when you go back to Nazareth, people are going to whisper that the baby is illegitimate and you're immoral. If we're going to connect the manger to a holiday, it'd have to be a holiday recognizing poverty, desperation, and exclusion. For many years, the early followers of Jesus weren't even sure that Christians should celebrate the nativity. Because it seems so earthy and so unattractive. 
And it seemed almost scandalous to connect that reality with the glory and the majesty of God in Jesus Christ. But it is the reality. The Creator actually becomes a creature. The infinite God becomes an infant. The one who spoke and created the world cries in a cattle shed. And what that means is that no matter how imperfect and lonely and messy and disappointing your Christmas is, you're not alone. You're not forgotten. You have reason to rejoice because Jesus stepped down to us in our messes and in our brokenness and in our loneliness and sorrow. We don't celebrate because our lives look like a beautiful manger scene Christmas card. We celebrate because Jesus brings hope to broken people. Luke is telling us that God not only came down, but he came all the way down to a dirty stable in the person of a baby. That manger is kind of a picture of our lives. It's smelly and unremarkable in the scope of world history. But it's where God meets us. If we're, we're going to picture that stable, make sure that there's a shadow hanging over it of, of a Roman trial and execution. Because that baby born into those despicable conditions humbled himself even further, the Bible says, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he did that. He had to do that in order to bring us home to himself. Only Jesus, the Messiah, the, the Son of God, could unlock the doors of heaven from the inside and open the gates to let us in, to welcome us. Jesus had to come down low in order to bring us up to God. That's how far down that he came to be with us and to know that he is with us always. You see, we don't celebrate Christmas because it's picture perfect and everything goes well. We celebrate Christmas because it tells us that there's no mess that's too big. There's no hole that's too deep. There's no problem too great that the love and the rescue and the hope of God does not reach. God is not telling you to get your life cleaned up and become religious. He's stepping into the brokenness of your life where it is right now in order to offer you rescue and hope and life. Because if Jesus is willing, if the Son of God is willing to enter the world through the womb of an Israelite woman in a cattle barn in a nowhere village, He's willing to come into your unlovely, broken, messy, not very nice heart to bring you home to but he also brings hope because if he can turn that messy manger into something beautiful, he can turn our messy lives into something beautiful too. That's why it's pictured that way. Because we look at it through the eyes of faith and we see that we know it's an ugly reality. But what's actually happening here is something glorious and amazing and holy where God meets us in our brokenness. So what do we do with this? I know it could sound on the one hand like, uh, you know, I'm kind of a Grinch saying don't enjoy Christmas too much and don't send cards. And, you know, that, that's not the point at all. If anything, 
Christians ought to be able to eat and drink and celebrate better than anyone because we're not looking for the food and the drink and the celebration to give us peace and happiness. We, it's not the presence or any experience that we're going to have that becomes the source of our joy. We already have joy. We know why we celebrate. God is the giver of all joy and blessing. So we celebrate and we give thanks to God for His gifts and His goodness. Share a really good meal with family and friends and give thanks to God. In fact, maybe look for someone who doesn't have a family or friends to celebrate with and invite them to share Christmas with you. This is the season to give thanks and praise God for the gift of His Son and to share that joy with others. But for some, it's hard to feel like it's the most wonderful time of the year when there's not much mistletoeing and your heart may not be glowing because loved ones aren't near. This is the first Christmas since the death of my brother Brad. He was the older brother that I always looked up to. He was a kind encourager, a second father to me. He was my best friend. And this is a time of year when many people know the longing for loved ones who can't be near. And we look at the world around us and the news is filled with horrible stories from the land where Jesus was born, once again torn apart by violence and war and death and People in Bethlehem and Kiev and places all around the world are grieving instead of celebrating. See, because we know joy in Jesus, we can give other people permission to be sad at this time. My daughter Isabel introduced me to this phrase, toxic positivity. <laughs> it's the need for other people to be happy so that I can be happy. And it means that, you know, I, I need... I need my life to be perfect and I need, and I need it to look perfect and, and, and so I don't want sad people around depressing me. So you have to be happy. Christmas does not have to be the hap happiest time of the year for everyone. Maybe even more than other times we're sensitive to, to weep with those who are weeping. Don't force people to put on a smile when they're hurting. And we don't have to fill Christmas with all kinds of special memories and activities as if having the perfect Christmas will make the season worth celebrating. Just yesterday, my wife Amelia and I were having a miscommunication. It was really my miscommunication about what was going to happen with our kids and when they're arriving and how we're celebrating this year because our three older kids are married and so now they have families of their own and extended families they're with. And one of our traditions is always opening stockings on Christmas morning. And all the kids gather in mom and dad's bedroom and the stockings are filled with all kinds of treats and toys and gag gifts and jokes and, and fun little things. But that's not going to happen this year because the kids are going to be here but all at different times. And I just assumed that meant we're going to open the stockings when the other kids show up, right? Because that's what makes it Christmas. But it's not going to work that way. And I was disappointed. But then I realized, well, I'm still going to see our kids. I mean, they're going to be here. And we can still celebrate, even if we don't all open stockings together on Christmas morning. Christmas is going to be different. And that's okay, because I don't need that 
tradition, that experience that, I, that I've kind of loaded so much emotional significance with to bring me joy, to be the source of joy for me. We celebrate. We feast. We rejoice because life has broken through the darkness. Because peace comes to our restless hearts because hope has entered the world. See, if the medium is the message, what is God saying to us at Christmas? That, that we celebrate because God has entered this world to bring us His life. We celebrate because God has given us His Son. Christmas is good news of great joy for lost, broken, messy, needy people like us. It tells us the truth about ourselves and about the God whose heart is love and kindness towards us in Jesus. And that leads us to gratitude and joy and worship. We celebrate because Christmas is about a Savior who being born into this world comes to live the life that we ought to live but we don't. To fulfill all of God's promises and ultimately by his sacrificial death to say, come home to God. When you come home to God, the cold and the loneliness and the desperation of winter disappears. You feel the embrace of God's love because you know things are right between you and God in a way that gives you peace. That God is with you no matter what and that one day all things will be the way they're meant to be. You're not celebrating that. You're just celebrating the gifts. And you're missing the giver. More than that, you're, it's almost like you're kind of dancing at a funeral. You're, you're whistling past the graveyard. But if that is what you're celebrating, if that is who you're celebrating, then you discover that the longing of our hearts for home, for peace, for God's presence, are met when you know Jesus Christ and the cold chill of winter disappears. We still have sorrow. We still know brokenness in those worlds, but we know comfort as well and we know the hope that one day Jesus will come again to make all things right. Because through faith in Jesus Christ who came into this world and who was sacrificed to set us free from our sin, we are delivered the winter of discontent. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Father, thank you for helping us see in your Son the reason that we celebrate at this time of year. I pray, Father, that in all the messages that we hear about Christmas, in all the cars that we receive or send all the songs that we sing that, that you help us to really see and lay hold of and experience the reason for celebrating. That you have entered this world through the life of your son Jesus to give us your own life. To give us your peace, your hope, your love. Exactly where we are. Father, help us to know that. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.